Amen. I want to encourage you to, uh, to pull out your phone and make it go to you version or pull out something really crazy like a Bible and open it up to the book of, <clears throat> the book of John, not first John, the first chapter of the book of John, because that's where I'm going to be working from today. Um, but I want to take you there. Uh, Janice, Pastor Janice and I had an opportunity to go down to Knoxville the last couple of days is where we've been and uh, meet with um, our new region, the Vineyard um, uh, Vineyard USA um, Association of Churches is doing a restructure, what they call a reorganization, and our area is changing and stuff like that, so we've had a good time. But what I noticed more than anything wasn't like, hey, they're doing this restructure and this is what it is. What I noticed was just the real desire of people to gather together, people to come together around the person of Jesus Christ and just worship, people to wrestle, to come together to wrestle with things, people to be challenged, people to be encouraged, because people are getting tired of being sequestered, they're tired. You were created to be in community. There is just absolutely no doubt about that. And so there's a place for us to go ahead and do that and, and to be in community. We're going to be going through the book of John in this whole sermon series, and I want to encourage you in that. And we're going to begin today with just uh, these scriptures right in the very first chapter. And I just want to talk about who we are and what this can mean to us. This whole thing is probably going to feel just a little tiny bit academic, um, which is okay. You know, somebody once told me, sometimes you preach hospital sermons, then you preach college or, or, or education sermons, and then you preach army sermons. You know, army sermons, we're going to take this city, come on, let's go do this thing. And hospital sermons are like, man, you've been through a lot, and you've been crushed by the world, Jesus loves you. And then uh, the, the, the college sermons or the education sermons, like, hey, we need to learn some things. And so today we're going to learn some things, but we're still going to make practical applications. So let me just uh, begin to share with you in the book of John, in chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The scripture says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made that have been made, and without him nothing has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. That word understood also is, uh, can be translated, has not overcome it. So we can look at that both ways as we go through here, but it doesn't change the thought of what John is trying to do. And then I want you to skip on down to verse 10. Um, John, he opens up his, his account of the gospel by talking about Jesus, talking about John the Baptist, talking about Jesus, talking about John the Baptist. And I want to talk about Jesus. Through this sermon uh, series, I want to look at what John says about Jesus and what that means to you and I. So skip down to verse 10 and it says, he, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And that's what we're looking at right there. And these are the passages that we want to be a part of right now. This is the passage that we want to look at and say, well, what does this mean to you and I? At some point in your life as you uh, enter into adulthood, because in childhood you really don't have to wrestle with a whole lot. You have to wrestle with what you want to eat. Do you like mama's cooking? Um, do you want to come in when they call you? Um, do you have a curfew? Do you have to go to school today? You wrestle with that kind of stuff. And then you get a little older and you wrestle with, do I want to marry him? Do I want to marry her? Do we want to have kids together? How many do we want to have? Where do we want to live? What do I want to do for a job? But sooner or later in your life, you will come to the place where you need to wrestle with the idea of who am I? 
Why am I here? And where am I going when I leave? And that's John's kind of focus all the way through the whole book of John is. And you're going to see this word over and over again. It's kind of a, you know, um, Joshua said, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. John would be standing up saying, choose this day what you're going to believe. But as for me and my house, we're going to believe the Lord. And there comes a place where you have to stop and say, are we going to do that? And, and we wrestle with that um, in our humanity, what that means. So he opens up his word, I mean, his gospel account with the word belief. It comes down to the idea of what are you going to believe? And I talked last week about the idea that believing isn't um, just academically understanding. Believing is enough that you act on it. You believe that that chair will hold you up and you acted on it. Say, so why did you sit down there? Why didn't you live in fear of that chair? Well, because I believed this chair would hold me up. I just believed it. I didn't test it. I didn't go ask the people who manufactured it. Did they manufacture it right? I didn't look and see if I even liked the manufacturer's philosophy of manufacturing. I simply came in and put my tuchus in the chair because that's what I needed to do in order to get ready for the service. See, you believed and you acted even without thinking. And I believe that's the Lord, where the Lord wants us on a lot of different things in our lives when it comes to uh, believing in the Holy Spirit. Do we believe or do we act? Do we live? Do we keep in step? And, and it goes on from there. But he opens up this, this uh, scripture um, with the idea that Jesus came to the world and the world has got this massive lack of belief. Now, as you anticipate listening to me say belief over and over and over again, I'm not just asking if you believe that Jesus is the Christ. I'm say, I, I want to know, do you believe, believe that he's the Christ of your marriage? Do you believe he's the Christ of your job? Do you believe he's the Christ of your children? Do you believe he's the Christ of your future? Do you believe he's the Christ of your salvation? Do you believe he's the Christ of your repentance? Do you believe he's the, right, the, the Christ of your conviction? Do you believe that he's the Christ, the Messiah, the answer? that God sent down here for you and I, and I believe that it is. And the, belief, the, the disciples believed it so much, if you can imagine, imagine it be you're at work tomorrow. You're just at work, okay? I don't know where you work collectively, but you're at work. And a man walks through your workplace, just walks through. And you look up and you say, well, based upon the way he's dressed, I would say that that man is a teacher, He's a teacher, no doubt about it. Now, you didn't want to go to school. You didn't go to work and say, man, I, I want to go to school. You went to work and said, I want to make a dollar. But this man is walking through your place of business, and you look up and you see him, and he looks back and he glances at you and he says, hey, you, come follow me. And for no reason whatsoever, you drop everything you're doing and you think, I have got to be where that guy is. Think about it for a second. You know, you might like to think that, I know, but the disciples were fishing, and um, you know, Matthew was at the tax collector's table, and they were hungry, and they were looking for Jesus. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. They were looking for another fish. They were looking for another person that they could cheat out of their taxes. They were looking for somebody because at the early days of his ministry, he hadn't done a whole lot of miracles that everybody was super impressed with, but he was looking for somebody that would get up and act, that would put their faith inside of him. 
And so when he walked by and he said, hey, come follow me, they believed. They believed that whatever was about to happen was way better than being a tax collector. They believed that whatever was about to happen was way better than taking on the family business of catching fish. They believed that whatever happened was about to happen was, was so good that they dare not miss it. It's that moment in the original Transformer movie. You know, when Will Whitwicky, whatever his name is, Whitwicky, Bumblebee opens the door, says, come on, get in, with the radio voice thing. If you've seen the movie, if not, you're looking at me like, are you stupid? Those of you that are with me are like, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. 50 years from now, do you want to look back on your life and say that I had the courage to get in the car? 50 years from now, do you want to look back on your life and say, Following Jesus, that was the single right decision. And it was expensive to me. I know people that have lost marriages in this community because they chose to get baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. I know people who have lost a parent that walked out on them because they chose to surrender their life to Jesus and go to church. And, and we think it's not expensive. And yet, this is the truth. He comes along and he says, come, follow me. When we read this book, we're going to see that the word belief is proclaimed. The word belief is strengthened. It strengthens. It casts out demons. It raises the dead. It's rejected in John 6, 66 by many disciples. It's shared, this belief that Jesus is the Christ is shared with hundreds of thousands. It's filled in at the cross and the resurrection. That belief comes to fruition. And Jesus said, that faith, that belief inside of you will do greater things than you saw Jesus do on this earth. And before we get overly skeptical, you've got to come to the place where you have to say, do you believe that Jesus really meant that about you and me? And I'm the person that is going to stand in front of you and say, you can't show me a scripture that said 2,000 years ago the Holy Spirit was doing this, but since we're 2,000 years later, he doesn't do that anymore. I'm the person that will tell you the people 2,000 years ago saw something, believed in something, act on something, gave up their lives for that something, and God moved in powerful ways through their belief system. And I want to be there. I want everything that heaven has for me. I, if heaven has another dog for me, I want the dog, to my wife's chagrin. Okay? But here's the deal. I want to hold it loosely and let heaven have it when heaven wants it to do what brings glory and honor in heaven to the God who gave it to me to begin with. Because I believe that he can do greater things. But I really will challenge myself and say, but do I believe that in the sense that I act on it? John writes all of these things to us in this book, knowing 
And he, no, he writes it so that knowing and hearing, you and I will believe and be saved. The account of Jesus written by John is only one of four Gospels, right? You've heard me say this before. Hey, the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the fact of the fact, there's not four Gospel. It's not John's Gospel. It is John's account of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It is Mark's account of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. There is only one Gospel. It's just the account of four different people that said, we need to show you we need to invest in you what we believe has taken place and so here we are and we have this thing it is the good news simply put the word gospel is good news i've challenged various people here lately and said what is it we're selling as a church well the good news the gospel yeah the gospel okay so what is the gospel it's the good news okay okay what is the good news it's the gospel you know what i'm saying that's that dog chasing its tail not that any of my dogs have a tail but it's that dog chasing the tail and it's like, no, no, stop and tell me, what is the gospel? It's the good news that the kingdom of God is near. It is the good news that God has come among us. It is the good news that God has restored us through Jesus Christ to our rightful place in our relationship with God in heaven. And we can come near to Him, devoting our lives to Him to be back in His family where we were created to be. You know, in the book of uh, Matthew, you'll see that the good news is also referred to as the, um, um, the message of the kingdom. Um, Jesus calls ten, uh, his 12 disciples, and, and honestly, I once heard a pastor say that, you know, you probably can spit out the names of the, you know, the, the, um, um, the reindeer of Santa Claus faster than you can spit out all 12 disciples, right? And so I was sitting in my office going, Dancer and Prancer and Vixen and Comet, and Cupid, and Donner, and uh, whoever else is, and Rudolph, you know, and it's like, you know, I think there's eight, there, no, there's, I missed one, there's one more. Thank you, Blitzen, see? Uh, see how you are? There, there, that's exactly right. So I just want to share with you, just so that we grab a grasp of, of, of who we're dealing with as we go through the sermon series, we're going to jump over to Matthew for just a second because of how Matthew opens this up. It says, then Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority. And this is what he told his disciples, his followers, those who believed in him to do. He said, I want you to go out and I want you to, to drive out impure spirits, evil spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. And these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, there's Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. So Simon and Andrew, and then there's James and John, the sons of Zebedee, okay, so they're working with their dad, Zebedee, and there's Philip, and then there's Bartholomew, and then there's Thomas, and there's Matthew, the tax collector, and then there's James, another James, the son of Alphaeus, and then there's Thaddeus, and then there's another Simon, but he's the zealot. That's a political statement. This man is fired up and packing heat and doing whatever it takes because he's going to bring the kingdom of God back to Israel, whether Israel likes it or not, okay, that's the zealot. Um, and then there's this guy, Judas Iscariot. Oh, by the way, that's the one that's, you know, betrayed him. If you haven't heard the story yet, that's Matthew talking. And then look what he says. These 12 Jesus put together and sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles. Don't enter any town of the Samaritans. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. That was his first mission to, to the disciples. First, we're going to start with Israel. He said, I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. You don't tell people to go raise the dead if you don't think they can actually come back and say they did it. You don't give people a mission that is absolutely and unequivocally impossible. 
He gave them a, a, a mission that was possible. Raise the dead. Where is that happening in the church today? Well, metaphorically speaking, whoa, 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 whoa. He did not say go metaphorically raise the dead. He said go raise the dead. He said cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, and do it for free. Because freely you have received, so freely give. Now, what would you plug into our day today? Heal the sick. People with chronic diseases. No, no. People with, excuse me, I'm not trying to get in your business. People with COVID. Cleanse those that have leprosy. Chronic diseases. Struggling with cancer. Struggling with bleeding. Struggling with whatever it might be. There it is. That's the mission of the church. 16 times in the Gospels, in those four letters, we hear the term good news. Jesus began to preach the good news. Jesus said, go share the good news. Jesus said, go tell the good news. And the good news was preached over and over and over again. The kingdom of God is near. And the things that the kingdom of God brings with it is healing of the sick, raising of the dead, cleansing of the leper, driving out demons, and it's done for free. It's done just because it needs to be done. You feed somebody because they need to be fed. We're opening up the Hope Food Pantry because there are people coming in that need food. And we're not saying, well, you know, well, this is how much it's going to cost you or this is how you have to dance or stand over here on your right foot and look this way and do that. We're, we're not putting limitations on it. We're saying we need to feed you. When you see a need, meet the need and move on. God will pour the resources back into your life. Trust him. Do you, here it comes again, ready? Do you believe when Jesus says feed the hungry that that's what he means for you? Huh? What about that? Do you believe that? Because I believe that when I act and give my last little bit, and I'm like, well, that's not responsible for me to give my last little bit. When God says give my last little bit to do what he said to do, it's because he's going to put it back in a bigger way. And I'm not doing it for the bigger way. I'm doing it just to be obedient because I want the favor of the Lord. So the gospel or the good news is that the kingdom of God is here, and if the kingdom of God is here, then the power of God and the person of the Holy Spirit is here. Because the Holy Spirit is God. He is not just somebody out there floating around that we boss around. He is God. And we are looking for ways to say, how do I connect to God? How do I draw near to God? And how do I, how do I receive from God everything that God has so that we can do everything that God is asking of us. Well, there's some things that we're going to need if we go on this journey. These are the things that I think that we're going to need. We're going to need a sextant, we're going to need a map, and we're going to need a light. If we're going to go on a journey, we need a compass, we need a map, and we need a light. But I chose sextant. This is what a sextant is. This is what it looks like. Is it going to show up up there? Is that not amazing? Is that not the coolest thing? I just want you to know right now that thing terrifies me. I'd rather have a compass. I really would. But that sextant, man, when you grab that sextant, you look up and you see the stars and you see the moons. And, uh, I mean, the moons. The moon and, 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 you, and you can pinpoint some stuff with that. You know, I mean, just being able to say that you can use that thing. You know, I mean, that sure, surely that will get you in some places. You know, people say, hey, you're, you can't come in here. say, hey, I know, I know how to use a sextant. Oh, dude, Siri, are, are, you, are you for real? Yeah, well, come on in, man. We got a table for you right over there. 
you know, you can use a sextant. Well, we need to use a sextant, you know. Scripture says God was there in the beginning. God made all things. The word Elohim is the word for God that's used in a plural sense. And to some degree, it can be used for all of heaven. But the truth of the matter is, depending on whether you put a plural or a singular noun in front of it or with it, you join it together. We get a picture of God who is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that's why we believe in a trinity or what's referred to as a triune God. You know, and, we, and I don't know if you've ever seen somebody try to explain that to you. And it's like, well, how can God be the Son at the same time that he's God the Father, at the same time he's God the Holy Spirit, and you got all this going back and forth and they've done the thing where it's like well you know how water can be ice and it can be um, liquid and uh, you know it can be gas you know it can do or they say well look here if I push my three fingers through the paper from our perspective you see God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit but if you take away the limitations of my humanity then I see the whole of hey it's it's God it's the Godhead you might have heard it referred to. Well, that's how we're looking at this, and that would be a Trinitarian belief, and that's who we are as a church. That's who most um, common Christian churches are. All right? And so this is where we are. Now, I say that Jesus is our sextant rather than our compass because um, we're on a globe, and while a compass can tell us what direction we're going based upon a magnetic north... Jesus is our sextant. Believe it or not, with a sextant, you can tell where you are on the globe. So it gives us a little bit extra there. It's like, you know, based upon the season, based upon the sun, the moon, the stars, based upon the angle, based on where, where they are in the horizon, based on where, where they are. This way I can give you latitude, I can give you longitude, I can give you the time of day, and based upon that, I'm standing in Richmond, Kentucky. See? On, with a compass, it's like, well, I'm headed that way. Okay, what's that way? Well, that way is like you know, 40 degrees off a true uh, magnetic north. And then we have to calculate over for true north. See? But the other thing that I was looking at is as much as I want to, when I grab a hold of that sextant and I use it, this is what I do. I take the sextant and I do this. And I look up. And I was thinking about that while I was writing this message. When I take a compass, I look down. On the one hand, I'm looking at the world that's telling me which way to go. On the other hand, I'm looking at the heavens that tells me where I am. And then I'm trying to understand where I'm supposed to go from there. The compass doesn't tell me where I am. It just tells me which way to go. The compass is the world. The sextant is heaven touching my life as we look at this thing. So we need a sextant, and Jesus is our sextant. His arrival upon this earth condemns us of our sins, but his sacrifice sets us free from it. And so we look up to Christ in the heavens and find our bearing in relationship. Jesus said, and I, when I am lifted up, will draw all men to me. So we look up. And that was a reference to Moses if you're familiar with the story of the Exodus, when the serpents were biting all the people and they were dying... Moses took a staff and curled... Here's a medical revelation for you. Moses took a staff and curled a, a bronze serpent on it and lifted it up, and whoever looked up at that um, serpent on the staff did not die in that story back in the Old Testament. Now, don't take my word for it. Go look it up. That's also where the, the staff 
for the medical community came from. came from your Bible. See? It came from your Bible. And then Jesus is referencing that when he says, hey, me, when I am high and lifted up, I will draw all men to me. That's a reference to what Moses did, and we're looking at that. And so when we talk about Jesus being our sextant, and, and we can say compass if you don't mind, but we say, hey, he gives us our direction and our purpose. We look up to see cruci uh, Christ crucified. We look up um, with disciples to see him ascend into heaven. We look up in anticipation of his imminent return, and we will see him come in the sky up. So I want to encourage you. This week, ask Jesus to reveal himself to you in whatever circumstance you are wrestling with. We come in here and we want to hear from God. Surely, you know, we feel like we have an obligation to go to church. That's true. We do. But we come in here and we want God to meet us. And I would encourage you that God does want to meet you. That he wants to intervene with you. That he wants to come in and show you direction. That he wants to come in and show you purpose. And I want to encourage you that this is a time in history and in your circumstances to stop and say, God, I need you to reveal yourself to me in these circumstances. Second thing that I want to share with you today is that the Bible is our map. God has given us a map. This is what a worldly map looks like. I just happen to you know, want to get a map, and so it's Pennsylvania. And I'm not against Pennsylvania. I'm really not. No big deal. It's a nice place. i got a sister that lives there. It's all good. Brother-in-law. Got a you know, nephew that's there as well. But this is what a map looks like. And there it is, and it goes this way, and it goes that way, and it shows you where the roads are, shows you where the, the, you know, the, the congregations of people are, the bigger cities are the yellow places, and then their country roads, and it gives you the interstate highway and the state roads and the little roads and the little roads, and you know, the more numbers there are on a road, the smaller the road, are, the, the road is, and it just keeps doing this thing. And, and so, yeah, you need a map. You need a map. We've got to have a map. But this is a map that I look at every day. That's my map right there. And my map doesn't just tell me where to go. It tells me the route through my heart. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right. Do not swerve to the left. And keep your feet from evil. That's my map. This is my map. I need to look at my map when I get up in the morning because I'm, I'm, I'm headed into relationships. I'm headed into work. I'm headed into the, the community. I'm headed into to business. I'm headed into wrestling with my dogs. I'm headed, I'm headed there and I need the map to tell me how do I get there? How do I do this? And my map says, do this. Do this. Go this way and you will be okay. But here's the deal. You have to learn to use this map. You know, I, listen, it, for a long time, nobody went like this. Hey, Siri, how do I get to First Baptist Church of Richmond? Getting directions to Richmond's First Baptist Church. Okay, for a long time, nobody did that. Man, if you were out in the country, you opened up a map. And you said, this is a map of Richmond. How do we get to where the First Baptist Church is? Well, I know it's over here. And, and, and it's kind of crazy because here's the deal. you got to learn to use the map. you got a little key that tells you what all the things are. But, but more than anything, learning the little keys was a waste of my time. I just needed to see the road and know where it was supposed to be. Here's the deal. Can you fold the map back up? 
That was the biggest problem of ever used. That's why atlases, when they came out, they're like, now this is magic. What kind of witchcraft is this? Put one map on a page and you don't have to fold it. You open it up. If you want a zoom thing, go to the back because here's Richmond on the map like that big. But in the back, there's Richmond blown up for you. But you don't have to fold the book up. You close it. But a map, you got to open up. Well, the same thing is true of the Scripture. We have been called to learn to use the Scripture. And before you say, I know how to use the Scripture, I will look you in the eye and say, no, you don't. And I love you. Because so many people will be just like, I opened up the Scripture and I pointed my finger, Pastor Joe, because I just needed a word from God. And that word said, whatever you find to do, for your hand to do, just go do it, for the Lord is with you. Therefore, whatever I'm going to do, the Lord is going to be with you. I'm not saying the Scripture is not a promise to you. But what happened if you would have opened it up and it said, and straightway he went out and hung himself? Would you have come to me and said, it's been good, it's been nice, I'm going to go hang myself now because the Bible says go hang yourself? No. You've got to rightly use the Scripture. You can't just take one scripture and say, and this is the scripture that's the end all of the end all. What I want to know about is what does the Bible say from Genesis to Revelation? And you don't have to go to Bible college and be an absolute, you know, just geek student of the Bible. Go ahead and do that. But I'm just saying, what I want, women in leadership, well, the, the scripture says right here in 2 Timothy, right there, it says right there. What about Deborah? What about Genesis chapter 2? What about um, Acts chapter 2? What about Joel chapter chapter 2. What about what the scripture says about I'm going to pour my spirit out on your sons and your daughters and they will preach, prophesy. I know, but Paul told Timothy, tell him to sit down and shut up. What about when Paul told them they could stand up and speak as long as they had a covering on? Oh, I'm not familiar with that verse. Can you rightly divide the Word of God? Can you rightly handle the sword of the Spirit? Can you pull your Bible out and open it up and say, I believe what I believe because the whole Bible says this. And the example was this. Can you do that? Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. To the church in Ephesus, Paul says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever like, looked at swords and you see all kinds of 50 different swords and what kind of sword's your favorite sword, which one can you use, which one can you not use? And, and I would say that Joe Wood can't use any sword. He has to learn to use a sword. Pick one, but he's got to learn how to use it. The same thing is true with the Scripture. If I'm going to be effective, I need to know it, and I need to know how to use it. The helmet is the, is the knowledge of salvation, but the awareness and the, with its awareness and understanding. But the sword, the sword is an offensive weapon used to push back the dark. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world, the Scripture says. Do you understand that? Get a hold of that and apply it to every single situation in your life. Everyone. Because we've been called to be ambassadors, and it says we don't fight with the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with have um, power to demolish strongholds, and we demolish arguments and every present pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient. The map shows us the path to where we're going. That's the scripture. The map is truth, and it is fact. 
Okay? It's not changeable. You can't just like open up the map and say, you know, I really don't like where that lake is. We're just going to move Lake Cumberland up to northern Kentucky right now. From now on, I'm going to preach that Lake Cumberland's in northern Kentucky. <laughs> That's stupid, isn't it? And, and you would say to me, Pastor Joe, nobody does that. And yet people do it with the Scripture all day long. I don't care what the Bible says. I believe that this is how we have to deal with sin or that sin or that sin. It doesn't matter what the I love Jesus, but I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to add this to it. You can't. All you can do is look Jesus in the eye when the time comes and says, I really screwed up bad by not reading it and obeying. That's the only thing you'll be able to do. And when you read it and obey it, it's going to be important that you can rightfully or rightly read it and obey it. And it's important. And that's only going to happen if we open it and do it. Here. Here we go. During this series, ask God to give you a hunger to read and know the Word of God. Because this last thing that I'm going to share with you, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to make it all make sense. He's going to remind you of everything I taught you, and he's going to reveal to you the mysteries, everything. The person of Holy Spirit, who is God, the Spirit, is going to do that. And that's the last one. The Holy Spirit is the light inside of you and I. How bright is that light? We need T-shirts, MJ. We need T-shirts. How bright is your light? That's good. Amen? No? You're stupid and you're going off track and we're going to be here all day? Yeah, probably. Okay, no, you won't be here all day. <laughs> but come on, how bright is your light? But that light is inside of you. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus is the life and that life is the light of all mankind. Jesus, John says, and that life came into the world and that life is the light that is the life to all mankind. And so we see this right here. And it's like, what is it about flashlights? You give a flashlight to little children, and all they want to do is go in the dark. Without a flashlight, they want you to come turn the light on. I don't want to go in there. It's dark. I, I, it scares me. But you give them a light, and, and I'm telling you, for centuries, long before Star Wars, they thought they had a lightsaber. They did. Little child takes a flashlight, and they're like, Ha! In the dark. And they want the room dark. Little children want the room so dark. You know why they want it dark? Because they got a flashlight. And you know what that flashlight does? That flashlight does one thing and one thing only. It pushes back the dark. It's power. That flashlight, you walk into a room and... It only takes a little bit. You can walk in with the match and suddenly you can see if it's dark enough. You walk in with a flashlight and turn it on, it's like, like that. But even a little, a, a little match, and there it is. And suddenly you can see to get through the room. We were in the hotel the other day and I got up and I turned the lights on because it was dark and I needed to know where the bathroom was. And I was not at home and, you know, you wake up a little confused at 2.30 in the morning. It's like, which way is the bathroom? And I flipped switch, nothing. 
I was not a happy guy, so I pulled out my cell phone and just hit it one time, and oh, I can see now. I just needed a little bit of light. Well, Jesus said, you are the light. And all it does is drive out the darkness. In the book of Matthew, Jesus said it this way, you are the light of the world and a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And so often we hide ourselves. And this is a crazy part. Jesus turns the light over to you and I because in John 1, he says he is the life and that life is the light of the world. So he is the light of the world. And then he turns around and he looks at me and he says, Joe, you are now the light. And you are a city on a hill, and everybody's going to see you. Let them see Jesus in you. Let your light shine bright. And the light inside of you is the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said all this in John 14, all this I've spoken while I was still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. But I'm not giving you peace as the world gives peace. The world gives peace by having the biggest gun, the biggest stick, the biggest bat, the biggest whatever. That's how the world gives peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is a right standing that brings the absence, the absence of conviction, guilt, shame. See? He says, I'm not giving my peace to you the way the world gives peace. No, 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 no. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. The good news of the kingdom of God is that Jesus is here. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us for healing, for casting out demons, for cleansing leprosy, and for restoring our rightful place with God on earth. That's what he said in John chapter 1. That's what Jesus said in Matthew when he sent his disciples out. This is what I want you to do. Do we believe that? I believe that. I do. Do we act on that or do we hide from it? Would it freak you out to have somebody in this room start screaming and wailing and hollering and for me to get the prayer team up here to cast a demon out of them? It's happened before, right outside those doors. And that lady would come back here and testify. She's part of a church plant that we made in Louisville. And she will testify you, to you that a demon left her. And she will explain it to you without being weird and sensational. Because that's what we're about. Do we believe? I believe in the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to heal people and rebuke demons. I believe that. I want you to know as the pastor of this church, I believe that. I believe that the work today of the church is the same as the work 2,000 years ago because Jesus came for us and for our humanity and our humanity hasn't changed but the things we can do with it have. The devil has not stopped doing what he's doing. We just don't believe. We live in a world where the light that created the world has come but we live in the darkness. That life is here but we have not. These are the things that I listed in my own life. We've not hungered for the light. We've not fasted for the light. We've not sacrificed for the light. We've not suffered. We've not suffered for the light. We've not. We've had it pretty easy, comparatively speaking, to the rest of the world. We've not suffered for the light. 
We've not longed for the light. We've not searched with all of our lives for the light. Sunday morning for sure. And it's not a rock to throw at us. These are things that I've looked at in my own life and said, have I done this? Do I do this? When people say to me, yeah, Pastor Joe, but come on, man. People don't get healed anymore. Yes, they do. I've been there twice. Yeah, but it doesn't happen like, you know, it's like, I understand, but I still wonder if this isn't why. Because I have not arranged my life to what God is calling me to. I've arranged God's calling to my life. See what I'm doing here? Is it God's way or no way? Or is it do what I say, God? And then we wonder why the power to do the things isn't here anymore. I wonder if our nearness to God affects our ability to wield the sword of the Spirit. Jesus tells us at one point to pray and ask the Father, and He will send you the Holy Spirit. You ever done that? Have you ever read that verse and said, I'm doing that right now. I'm doing that right now. Do it for our whole church this month. For the rest of February, pray for the Spirit to be right in here and make us uncomfortable. And make us uncomfortable. I want everything that God has for you. For you. That's all I want as your pastor. Ask God to open you up to God the Spirit and what is real, not what is fake. Not what is put on. Not, not that. But let God be God. I am praying that through Jesus, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit, the light, the map, and the compass, the sextant, that God will wreck your life. That's my prayer for you. you. If you want to pick another church, I understand. Okay, But I'm praying that he wrecks you. Because I want to see God put you back together in such an incredible manner that it was more than you ever could have asked or imagined and that you're going to be faithful. I want to see what Jesus said when he called his disciples and he said, you're amazed that the angels fell? <laughs> Whatever. Be excited that your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. He said to, to Nathaniel, you're impressed that I saw you before you showed up and you were under that tree? You're going to see greater things than that. I'm signing up for the greater things. It might get expensive for me. I get that. But that's what I want. I only want everything that God has for me to bring people into the kingdom, not to lavish it upon myself, to bring people into the kingdom. What about you? What about you? These people are up here and they really would love to pray for you. They really would. I'm going to pray here in a second, but they would love to pray for you. They would love for you to pray with you to, to surrender your life to Jesus if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Man, get a start. Get a start. Let's get this race going. Get a start. They would love to pray with you to receive the Holy Spirit. It might wreck their life too. I would love to see the Holy Spirit wreck us today. Okay? But if you've never asked God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, even though you received Him when you believed, let them pray for you. 
If you're facing something that's going to take God and the Holy Spirit to get you through it, let them pray for you about that too. That's what they're up here for. Let's pray. God, who is God in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for the blessing of who you are and what it is you're doing. Lord, as I come before you right now, I just want to stay out of your way. And I'm going to be honest with you, Father, I don't even know what that means. I just know that you want to do something in our church. I just know that we are, God, we're standing at the corner and getting ready to turn it. We're standing on the cliff and getting ready to jump. I, I just, there is a, a, such an anticipation, God, that you're about to do something. I'm screaming, begging you to reveal it. And you're saying, no, I got to be faithful and just trust you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come and break out on us and just wreck us. Just wreck us today. We thank you for this. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you, God. We come before you and we ask forgiveness for our sins, for our humanity, for our desires, for our addictions, for our passions, what, the things that are keeping us from you and the things that just distract us. God, we're here and we want more of you. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I want to invite you to come to your feet. These people are up here to pray with you during this song. If you would like to come up here, we would love to pray for you.